Romans today, in Romans chapter 16, you can be turning there, I was just looking back and thinking about six years and some 80-something messages that we spent on this, which in one of the commentaries I was using, I think the man preached 269 messages over eight years, so... uh, so it's a lot of messages, and uh, it's also when I when I think and consider how many words I have spoken in those messages about God's word, it, it kind of makes my knees shake a little bit because <clears throat> I know I've probably misspoken here or there, and uh, I've got some good men here that and women that hold me accountable when I do that, and I try to go back and make that right. So. Uh, Pray that God would bless us as we finish up this section today. We'll title this day, Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega. And I'm just going to use this main mic here, Luke, today. So, Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega. So before we read our text here, just to kind of set... The stage, uh, Logan has read to us about the birth of Jesus Christ this morning. And the great joy that came to the world was the fact that the Alpha and the Omega of creation and time became a human being. This One is called the Prince of Peace. He's called the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Great I Am. He is existence itself. And that's what makes the birth of Christ such a wonderful story. Makes it mysterious and magnificent. Is that God came down and took upon Himself flesh and blood and he still is in that flesh and blood today as he is seated on the right hand of power it's a marvelous story even more so when you understand why he had to come and why he came for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So in the fullness of time, Christ came, born of a woman, born of the seed of Abraham, as promised, to deliver them who all their lifetime had been subject to the fear of death, And to give eternal life to as many as were ordained to eternal life. We were ruined by Father Adam and restored by the second Adam, the Lord Himself from heaven. He was promised... From the very beginning in Genesis 3.15 and again and again He was promised to Abraham, to Jacob, to David. The prophets spoke of Him again and again. Daniel saw great visions of this Alpha and Omega 
seated in glory. And he gave that final prophecy there in the Old Testament and said, 490 years, he gave that prophecy of the 77s. And he came as promised. And the fullness of time. And so from the beginning, he was promised to come. And he came. And this story has unfolded itself throughout history. It's written into history. And it continues to unfold in our day. In our history as we make it. As all of us come by faith and follow this risen King and this risen Savior. And show by our changed lives that there is power in the blood of Christ to change. To be resurrected from a dead life. To be new creatures in Christ. And so this Alpha and Omega came. And you know Paul, as Paul is writing this letter to the Romans about 2,000 years ago, uh, he didn't get it at first, did he? I mean, he had all of the religious training. The Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he was going about thinking he was doing God's will by killing those who were naming the name of Christ. And then, something changed one day. One day he met Him who was raised from the dead in Jesus Christ. And it changed everything for Paul. History pivoted. And that event, and the Apostle Paul came and writes this letter to us, this Romans letter, about the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And you can see even in Romans, Paul begins and ends with the Alpha and the Omega. If we look at back in the first few verses at the beginning of this letter, let's just read these first few verses and we'll read the last few here. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ in Romans 1.1, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now what is that gospel, Paul? Well, it's the one which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. There's the birth story right there in Romans. This one was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power. How? How was He declared to be the Son of God with power? According to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so as Paul begins with the Gospel, he ends with it. And now I'm going to start reading at verse 22, because that's where we left off. 21. Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, my host of the whole church, salute you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, salute you. And Cortus, a brother. The grace... Of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 
And now Paul wraps it up here with this benediction, which is really a doxology. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. So as he began saying this is about the gospel, he ends by saying he's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. But now is made manifest, it's revealed, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Paul began and end, ended with that too. Obedience of faith. Romans 1.5 The obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. When you know the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ, your life will be filled with joy and peace as you obey Him by faith. We're going to just take a look at four points today maybe. Four or five. We'll see how far we get. I want to begin here in this section in verse 21 through 21 through 23 here. Now, Paul has greeted those at the Roman church which we went through at the beginning of chapter 16. And here, as he ends the letter, he's sending greetings from those who are with him in Corinth where he is writing this letter. Now, Timothy, we know. Timotheus, my work fellow. And Timothy means precious to God. And Lucius, which means bright light. Jason, which means one who will heal. Sosipater. And then we have Gaius, which is Lord, and he was the host. And Erastus, which means beloved, who was the city manager. And then we have Tertius and Quartus. And one of the things we see here as Paul is wrapping up, this God calls out people to work together. This is a group effort. This preaching of the gospel and the ministry of Christ's command to go into all the world is done with people working together. And it's interesting here, just a couple of things to point out. Workfellows means synergy or combined energy together in the work. It takes all of us working together. I think Paul demonstrated that. The Holy Spirit demonstrated that as we've gone through these last few chapters of Romans and talking about how important each of us are in the gifting that you are given to work together in this ministry of faith. The other thing I think that it's wonderful to see about what the Gospel does. The Gospel is the great equalizer. So I was reading through this and doing a little bit of study and we read these two names, Tertius and Cordus. And that means third and fourth. So I started thinking, would parents really name their kids, you know, number one, number two, number three, and number four? But in the Roman Empire, in the realm of slavery, there was always a slave that was called number one. 
And so there was number one slave. There was number two slave. Here we have the number three slave, Tertius. And he puts here, he's the one who's writing this. So evidently this slave was one, possibly even the slave of Erastus, the chamberlain here, who's the city manager in Corinth. He's the one dictating and he gets to put in his little bit here. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. And then we have Cortus, number four. Last name mentioned. You've got Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, the city manager. And Cortus, a brother. God calls people out of every walk of life. And when He calls them together, their names are listed in the same sentence. Because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, this great Alpha and Omega, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, is so high above us that it's the great equalizer. I'm a worm, you're a worm. Somebody's more of a worm than I am. We're all worms in God's eyes. And we're all His beloved children. In Luke, I think we see this also in the birth story over in Luke. We read there in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so, who is the the first people that hear about the birth of Christ? Was it the the chamberlain of the city? Was it the kings? Was it the Pharisees and the Sadducees? No. Probably the lowest caste of society got to hear the news first. The shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord comes unto them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That probably was, uh, that's a sight, it's hard to even imagine, isn't it? You got an angel appears, and then a host of angels appear, and the shepherds are the first ones to hear the news That for thousands of years, the promised one, the promised Christ, the promised Messiah had been born that very night. And they got to hear the news first. And the the response of what do they do? They make haste. Immediately they respond to this gospel message. And they go to see. And you read later there that they even go and start telling others. And people start wondering. You see, that's always the effect of the gospel. It's such an exciting and marvelous story that when you receive it, you can't keep it in. 
This is a joy that spills over out of your life, through your face, through your eyes, out of your mouth. In such a way that it will cause other people to wonder about the things that you're saying. And we see that group of men with Paul there at the end of this letter to Romans were like that. They had heard this story and they had come to faith in Christ. And now they were work fellows working together for this cause, great and small. Because as we read there in 1 Corinthians one twenty-five, Christ came not to the wise, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brothers and sisters. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. If you are in a position like that and God has called you, there are not many like you. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world, shepherds and Tertius and Quartus, to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised, right? To bring to naught the things which are, that no flesh, why? That no flesh should glory in His presence. So that God gets all the glory. And so we see that you are a purposed people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, secondly, God has the power to establish you. He says that here in verse 25, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now to him. Paul began this letter saying this is about Jesus. It's concerning him. And now he ends this letter saying now to him. The Alpha and the Omega is separating people into local bodies. Local congregations. For the obedience of faith. He's establishing them. Means to make them steadfast. Through purpose. Through plan. Through power. He's taking people. And he is raising them from the dead. Through regeneration into faith. Into the kingdom of God. He does this by. External and internal call. That's what we believe. Right? I'm here now with the external call. This is the foolishness of preaching. That God saves them which believe. And the Holy Spirit comes and He preaches a message that I, that's much better than the one I can preach. And that's my prayer when I preach. Is that God, Holy Spirit, preach a better message than I can. I know I'm going to stumble around up here. But I know you can make it plain to them. That's always my prayer and my hope. And through that internal call, with the external call, God is establishing you. He is establishing you.
He has the power, the ability to establish. It says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 3.13. To the end, He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. He will establish you in the faith now and He will keep you in the faith until He comes or until you go to meet Him. And He says He does that your hearts. He's establishing your hearts. He's giving you right desires and right delights. He's changing your hearts away from mud pies on the beach to higher glorious things to delight in, to joy in, spiritual joys and spiritual pleasures through communion with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. He's establishing our hearts unblameable in holiness before God. He's changing us through union with Christ. He says the same thing in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you. In 1 Peter 5.10, But the God of all grace who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, He called you. Effectual call. When God calls you, come. He called us unto His eternal glory by Jesus Christ. And after that you have suffered a while, He'll make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So He has the power to establish you. He is able to establish you. And the Gospel has two purposes. It, it has that calling purpose. But it, the, the Gospel also keeps us in the faith. Because every time we hear it, we rejoice. Isn't that right? I love to hear the old, old story. And that's where our heart leaps with joy and delight when we hear the story again and again. That's not possible if you don't have the Holy Spirit within you. Confirming, it's true, it's true. Christ did come. So He has the power to make you a purposed people, to establish you. And He does this by revelation. Now to Him that is of power to establish you according to My Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the Scriptures of the prophets. So He is revealing this revelation of Christ the Messiah, He was revealed in that little baby in the manger. And when you came to faith and repentance, He was revealed in your heart. And there's even going to come another revealing one day when He shall be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all of those that obey not this Gospel. He's revealed in the preaching of the gospel. He's revealed in the scriptures. The word according to there, Paul uses that several times. In fact, when I was reading a commentary by Bridges, it says that 
Paul leaves all sentence construction behind here in these two verses. He says it's hard because he's just so filled. Paul, he's just overflowing with all of these wonderful things as he's finishing this letter. He's just piling on and piling on and piling on. According to means agreeing to in harmony with. And so we're called out and established by this revealing that takes place under the preaching of the gospel by the Holy Spirit. And this revealing supposes something that was not seen before is seen. So you hadn't seen it before. Paul is on the way to Damascus and then Christ is revealed to him. And he's transformed. It's an uncovering. It's laying bare. We read in Revelations about that time when Christ is laid bare for all to see. And of those who have rejected Him and have not repented, who go crawling in caves and holes of the earth, calling out for the rocks to cover them and to hide them from the face of the Lamb. That's a, a revealing to them that will not be pleasant. This revelation to us is pleasant and joyful and wonderful as He's laid bare and revealed to us through our new birth. And every time we read the Scriptures, we're seeing something about Him. An old saint once said that all the Scriptures are the swaddling bands in which to wrap the Christ child. This revealing and laying bare is uncommon. Which means that He's only revealed to some and not others. I mean, look in the world today. How many people are in submission to Christ? How many people do you see who are in obedience to the faith? It's uncommon. That's why this is precious. Why Peter called it light, precious faith. Why he called him a precious Christ. Because not everybody is born of the Spirit. It's revealed to those whom God chooses to reveal it. Christ said that also, didn't He? And to as many as He reveals the Father to those whom the Father chooses. And isn't it great that He chooses Tertius and Quartus? And shepherds. To reveal the greatest mystery of all. Colossians 1.26 Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to His saints. For thousands of years it was hidden. It's not until... The Christ child came that we had the full revelation of those promises to us. It's now made manifest. It's revealed. It's laid bare. Not to everyone. To His saints. To whom God would make known. 
What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? And what is that mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul would also speak of this to Timothy, this great mystery that's being revealed and laid bare for us. In 1 Timothy 3.9, he says, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And then he mentions it, he clarifies down in verse 16 there, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's the birth of Jesus Christ right there. He, God Himself, the Alpha and Omega, the one that's lived, lived forever. In the second person of the Godhead was revealed in human flesh. Justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. Believed on in the world, received up into glory. And Peter would speak of it this way. He says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired. These prophets of old, they searched diligently. They prophesied of this grace that should come unto you here in 2022. Searching what? They were searching the Scriptures. They were trying to figure out what manner of time. When would Christ come? What manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. The resurrection and ascension. Unto whom it was revealed. Revealed to these prophets. And it wasn't revealed for them, but to you. They ministered these things, which are now reported to you by them that have Preached the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And this is such an amazing mystery that he even says there, which things the angels desire to look into. It's such a wonderful mystery. This is the sitcom mystery that even the angels want to watch. They set forward on the edge of their seat how is God going to save humanity out of the pit? How is He going to do it? Mystery means to shut the mouth. Shut up. We have that expression, don't we? People say that. This mystery. The mystery means it's a mystery so amazing when you see it, every mouth is stopped. Shut the mouth. And that great final revealing of this Christ, there's going to be nothing anybody will be able to say at that point except bow the knee and confess. He is the Christ. And He revealed this to shepherds and slaves. And to me and to you. 
such a mystery. It's a mystery of how to overcome death. I've talked to this before. There is all kind of scientists out there who think they can overcome death. There's now the transhuman movement. There's a Russian that believes that we can be able to download ourselves into a computer one day. That's how we'll live forever. Others are freezing their bodies in Arizona, and they think science will one day advance to the point they can thaw them out and raise them from the dead. They'll put faith in science. They won't put faith in the one who actually rose from the dead, who predicted he would do that, and then did it, and then ascended up on high, and was witnessed by hundreds of, Isn't that a great mystery to know about how to be raised from the dead? What about a mystery of how someone can be just? Look around the world today. Do you see any true justice? Everybody wants justice. The whole social justice movement. Everybody wants justice, but they want it on their terms, not God's. The only justice... That will bring justice for humanity is when people are made just in Christ. If you took all of the holiness of all of the angels that did not fall and that are in heaven and put them in one person, that would not be enough righteousness to save one human being. But this one who came from glory, the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ the righteous, he himself has enough righteousness in his blood to save people on a billion worlds from their sin. Isn't that a great mystery? How one person could be so perfect and holy and righteous that one drop of his blood is sufficient. To wash it all away. To cleanse the conscience. And this revelation is only by Scripture. Only by Scripture. He says there, this is now made manifest, now revealed, and by the Scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. There is no new revelation. This is it right here. We have a complete revelation, a sufficient revelation. We read, even in the birth story we read, how this revelation was fulfilled where somewhere around 700 B.C., Isaiah writes, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. And then 700 years later, Matthew one twenty two. that is fulfilled. That's why Peter said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. People love to read Nostradamus, however you say his name, TV shows about this so-called prophet 
who is right half the time. We got perfect revelation, perfect fulfillment of prophecy. And all of that was done. And Matthew says, now all this was done, and Matthew 1.22, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. He says that again in Matthew 2. That was read this morning. And said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet. And he quotes from Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth hath been from old, from everlasting. That one from old of everlasting became a baby and grew up into a man and gave his life for us. He came by command, by commandment, this promised one. And this Alpha and Omega who came, when you go through the New Testament, just to confirm that revelation is by the Scriptures, He Himself quoted from the Old Testament 78 times. Did Jesus believe the Old Testament Scriptures were the Word of God? 78 times He did. He fulfilled them and He quotes them. And He's the Word made flesh. Isn't that a great mystery? The Word, the logic of God made flesh, came and dwelt amongst us. And it was all for the purpose of the obedience of faith. That's what he says here at the end. This is all revealed by the Scriptures according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Obedience. There's two parts to this word. It means compliant listening or submission. It means to hear and to obey in one word. To bring under. There's the idea there to bring under by listening. It means when you hear to bring under by testing. All of humanity is being brought under the sound of the gospel. It says there, made known to all nations. They're being tested under the hearing of the gospel. The gospel is the separator of the sheep and the goats. Through the power of the Spirit. The very purpose of the Alpha and Omega was that His life would be preached among people and that there would be those that He would open their ears that they could hear and obey. God works our obedience through faith in the blood of Christ, from union with Christ. It's from this acceptance. Every good work we do is an effect of our acceptance, not a means to it. Because we are accepted with God, we respond in faith. And hope. Marvin read that text this morning. Uh, 
which is actually quoted in the New Testament too. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region in the shadow of death, light is sprung up. In June and July of 2018, a junior association football team and their assistant coach were rescued from a cave in northern Thailand. Y'all probably heard about this. I think it's been made into a movie. Twelve members of the team aged 11 to 16 and their 25-year-old assistant coach entered the cave on June 23rd after a football practice. It was a birthday, one of the boys. Shortly after that, heavy rain began to fall. And this cave system that they went into flooded, blocking their way out and trapped them deep within. And they had to go deeper and deeper to escape the rising floodwaters to try to survive. Efforts to locate them were hampered by rising water levels. And for more than a week, they didn't know whether they were dead or alive. It turned into a massive rescue operation and lots of public interest. There were international rescue teams. There was danger of more rain. Some 10,000 people were involved. 100 government agencies, police officers, soldiers... 700 diving cylinders were used. Professional divers were brought in. And these boys, age 11 to 16, now some of y'all have been in these caves where they turn the light out, right? So imagine you're in a cave with no light from June 23rd for nine days. And you have nothing to eat and you have no light. And the only water they had to drink was dripping off the ceiling. And then after nine days, they're sitting there. They start to see a little bit of light down in the water. And a British diver, John Valentin and Rick Stanton, came up out of the water with their headlamps on and found them all alive. Can you imagine what that must have been like? You hadn't eaten in nine days. All hope extinguished. No light. And then somebody comes. Can you imagine the joy? The relief when the light came into their world? The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. 4,000 B.C. on a Monday morning about 9 a.m., two people were trapped by deceit and fell into a bottomless pit. Beyond the reach of any rescue effort, And for thousands of years and thousands of generations, their children were all born in this pit. Except, the difference is, they had a promise. And many of them believed in that promise, whereby they escaped the pit of darkness. 
And Christ came up out of that dark, murky water when there was no hope for humanity. And the light of the world was born so that we might escape. This is the great gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul would finish this by saying, To God only wise. Who could be wise enough to roll out a plan over thousands of years to make it happen exactly on time, every time, in the fullness of time, according to His plan to bring forth a Savior, Messiah, into the world. And to plan to save a people and not one of them will be lost. Every one of them that are ordained to eternal life believe. And they are obedient to the faith. That's good news, isn't it? Have you seen that light in your life? Do you know this Christ? Are you like those boys wandering in the darkness in the cave? Wondering if there's any hope? Well, I can tell you today, there is hope. There is hope. All those who hear and believe and confess Christ in their heart according to Romans 10, it says they shall be saved. I pray that the Holy Spirit would call out those who might not yet know Him. I pray that God would bless you in the time that we've spent for six years going through Romans. I pray that the Lord would seal up such a blessing in your life that every time you read Romans, you would rejoice and be filled with joy as you see the unfolding of the great theology, the great truths of Jesus Christ and how He came to save sinners. May God bless His Word.